looks like we're in business now. Nice. Okay. Whatever. I don't care. I'm off the Stupid script. So my phone is being slow. Angry at all technology. And all technology is bad and the devil. It is, and we should eschew it all. Unless. Unless. This is being listened to in the future after the takeover, in which case I have always welcomed our coming robot. They have always been my favorite of any possible overlord that we could ever have. I never wanted any other overlords but the robot ones. As opposed <laughs> to all those other robot, or all those other overlords that we've had so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely call those overlords. Definitely. Definitely. Garbage, garbage, garbage. Said the podcast host. I know what I said. I know who said it. And I know who said it. I found it. Oh, nice. it's up. It's working. Yay! Thank you for coming through technology. I know you would. We all love you. All yes. <laughs> so yeah, now that you know what the podcast is about, having listened to all of that jibber jabber that went on before. Uh, would you like to know what we're drinking finally, Ethan? Yes, I would. I've been waiting forever for this. That's that's gotta be a wild take for the gentle listener. Because <laughs> I mean, I know it's a whole thing about how you don't ever edit this podcast, but like, we had to shut down the whole computer and then restart it. Uh, yeah, and they waited that entire time. Yeah, too. I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> expecting you to insert some silence. <laughs> yes, for as long as we waited, the listener will also have to wait. Anyway, what we're drinking right now is Ben Romach, Speyside Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. It's ten years old. It's handcrafted by the Ben Romach Distillery Company Limited in Forest, Scotland. It's founded 1898. Well. And in relief here, if you feel it, it says the classic Speyside Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. I read that with my finger. I was going to say it was weird how the box started talking as soon as yep. you put your finger on it. Yep, it's, it's funny how that works. Um, yeah, so the box gives a story on the back. It says they use the finest natural ingredients. They have three distillers. Uh, there are no shortcuts to perfection. It's all hand-filled, hand-weighed, hand-stamped, matured for many years in their traditional dunnage warehouses. Why? It's gorgeous, is what they say. Uh, it's beautifully balanced. I'm not going to talk about the, uh, tasting notes that it gives, because we can do that ourselves, thank you, box. Badly, but at least it'll be our own. It'll be our own. That's the important part. We're starting this episode off real angry. Yeah, we are. It's technology's fault. It is. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. Also, uh, they said that there was a story. You said you promised me a story, and then well, I abbreviated it. Description. I mean, it is a description. I don't think it's. I think even if it was the long version, I don't think it would be a story. No, not really. That's that's good because I hate stories. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're on this podcast. (laughs) Um, So here's the bottle. Ooh. That's. Pretty beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful. It's uh, it's kind of, kind of minimalist. Yeah. The uh, the one, the one uh, font is kind of is kind of flirting with Comic Sans. It's it like it's it's if Comic Sans and Papyrus it's, had an illegitimate it's child. Like if kind of Comic Sans were classy. Yeah. Like you can put a put a tux on a, you know, on a. a I know, I'm trying to think of a term that's insulting, but not to anyone in particular. 
it's, yeah. You can put a tux on the blob, but he's still going to eat your whole town. Well, now we've lost the blob as a listener. Well, that's okay. He <laughs> ate my whole town. <laughs> All right, let's open this puppy up. Wait, we're drinking dogs? Never mind. Shh, it's a secret. And yes, if the listener listener can't tell, we are drinking in paper cups because we have checked into the classy, uh, what is it, the Hilton, Hilton Garden Express Inn Express? With all those fancy words that make you think it's fancy. Uh, yeah, we have checked into the fancy hotel, but we did forget to bring fancy glasses. Fancy glasses. Or, so. in effect, any glassware. So these are paper coffee cups. As you no doubt could tell from hearing it poured. Yep, exactly. As Michael implied. Hey, I respect our listeners, and I know their abilities. <laughs> I believe in them. You still imply that they were Sherlock Holmes. Wait, no, you are. You're all brilliant and also beautiful. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry, but the anger, my, my anger at technology spilled over onto you. Uh, yes. You know, maybe I pour this a little uh, quick here, because we still need Karen to read the rules. Oh, we do. Karen, Karen, please read the rules. Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, gentle listener. listener. Not angry at you. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now we will salute and those rules go into effect. We will be saving some of this sketch for the wifes. Uh, the who now? The wifes, okay, as the it. rules demand. Yes. Um, yeah. So, all right. Mechayim. Slamcha. Clank. Clank. discussing a couple of books as we sit here but only one right now and that one right now that we're discussing is the underground railroad railroad by colson whitehead uh so uh, i brought this one this was my my pick this time around and i did realize last time when i introduced it i said i thought i'd heard about it on npr or something and i realized where i actually heard it or where i uh, learned about colson whitehead it was in an issue of time magazine that covered him ah. Had like all of his books listed in there, and it just seemed very interesting to me, and so I thought I would like to read this book. 
Yeah. And you forgot your copy. I did forget my copy, however, I did read my own. You did. Good. That's good. <laughs> and I am on about 50% of these podcasts. <laughs> podcasts. I will let the gentle listener figure out for themselves which ones are which. Ooh, snap. Spoiler alert, it's all the books I picked. I read those ones. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't care about my picks. Um, so... Um, there's a lot to cover in this. First of all, just the, the genre of it. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to sp- spend too much time on genre because we can very easily fall into that trap. I feel like there's one thing we but, should cover even before we get there. Okay. Because there's like an elephant sitting in right there in the corner it's of right this room. It's right over there. And like... It's been staring at us. We usually ignore any elephants that are in the room because we prefer to just sort of... Excuse me. We prefer to just sort of power through uh, elephants <laughs> um, uh, as though they were an equal weight's worth of I don't know feathers. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna put some ice on the muscles we pulled stretching for that one. Yikes! Yep. Um, but I just it just occurred to me that a good a good topic to cover real briefly. I don't want to like belabor it, but. Right at the top. Michael, how much experience do you have being a black person? <laughs> um, I would say about none to zilch. Yeah. Uh, that is that is true for me also. I also have no experience being a black person. Right. Um, so can we even talk about this book? Yeah, which is, um, which is like a legitimate question that... It is. In the sense that it gets asked and debated... Um, you know, like I've had black friends and coworkers, oh, don't. <laughs> and don't go that way. All of that stuff, oh, which is please. to say, yes, that is that is a what a white person says when they are trying to like build credibility to right. have opinions about something Ugh. that they don't actually have any experience about. Right. Um. If like if that counts, I can say I've watched Blackish. <laughs> How's that? Exactly. Um, well, I've read the Underground Railroad. There we go. All right. Yeah. We've got some common ground here. Yeah. No, but yes, that's a good elephant to point out here because we are... Well, especially on a podcast. Yes. You know. Right. Nobody can see us. Or can they? Oh, well, um, we do imply about four times an episode that, that they can. But well, they... that elephant definitely can see us right yeah. now. But, but no, yeah. so like when we talk about this book, we can't necessarily come at it with experiential knowledge we can only come at it from a literary perspective yeah um like a while ago you know when i when i was when i was young and naive i uh got i i i uh, there's a word i'm looking for anyway i was deeply infatuated with the quote that was going around facebook for a while attributed to morgan freeman spoiler alert not something ever said by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> um, that was basically to say, like, how do we how do we stop racism? Uh, it's by mm-hmm. stop not talking about it anymore. Like, you know, basically, I, I don't know how it was phrased. Sure, it was in a sort of long rambly Facebook quote attributed to Morgan Freeman way, but um, it was basically to say that like if we stop acknowledging racism and just treat people like people, then we will like racism will disappear which is sounds attractive it sounds really attractive and it makes a great amount of sense to for example someone who grew up in a very white small town in the midwest who never really 
was uh, on the receiving end of. Yeah, it has never been any kind of minority. Um, and let and also like not only that, but never had to deal with minorities in a very real way. Like my, yeah. my community growing up was easily ninety eight percent white. Sure. Um, and even even growing up, you know, in a predominantly white town that has a few black people or other people of color in it is a very different experience from for example even growing up white in a in a bigger city or somewhere yeah. with a with a much bigger uh minority population mm-hmm. um and once again even that is a many orders of magnitude removed from growing up as a minority in any context mm-hmm. um right so what ultimately you're saying then as far as that goes is while that falsely attributed to morgan freeman quote sounds attractive to someone who has never experienced this uh in a real way it's not actually helpful (laughs) right exactly (laughs) it's essentially denying the existence of a thing exactly yes and the the thing will still be there the thing in this case being racism or being treated differently because of your skin color which is just racism i don't know where i was going with that but um right it you know it yeah if you if you never had to deal with it then ignoring it seems like an excellent uh uh solution but to the people who ignoring it doesn't make it go away for it's just it's just right nonsense it's it's right uh, right it's foolishness um at, at best at, at best. worst it's it's an attempt at you know silencing you right it's it's allying itself with the thing that it denies exists yeah so yeah (laughs) um (laughs) so like that's one bad solution right that's Um, a bad one and and you know especially for for people like us right like Mm -hmm. um i always i think about our uh uh the head of the the english department where we both got our oh sure undergraduate degrees um a brilliant professor named lars johnson Mm -hmm. who did his phd um dissertation i believe it was uh the official like phrasing was yeah african-american slave Slave narratives yeah um pre i forget the dates that he looked at but it was pre-civil war Mm -hmm. um which this was a genre of uh uh literature like it's considered its own genre or subgenre and gets studied sort of separately at this point of narratives um written about slavery by former slaves right um i don't i i don't know if the book 12 years a slave technically counts as that but it's certainly adjacent to it right right um i believe fred frederick Douglass's famous work was literally mm-hmm. called narrative of the life of frederick Douglass." um right but so yeah the uh the, the specific genre of of narrative and law and as you might expect from a person whose name is lars, lars. and also johnson for <laughs> that johnson. matter i mean um, there's a little more wiggle room i, there, I but... guess but and also someone who you know taught at a historically lutheran nor historically norwegian lutheran you know college uh, college in the midwest Uh, Midwest. yeah this is this is a very white man right um and i there's at least one incident that i know of where he was presenting a paper at a conference and he got uh during sort of the the question and answer period um uh a a black man who i assume was a a scholar um Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know anything else about him but he basically stood up and told told uh lars 
that he that Lars had no right to write about these um, narratives because he had never had the experience of uh, being a black person, essentially. Right. Um, and, you know, Lars, I, I, would, I would love to have been a fly on the wall just to see that conversation because oh, yes. I know that Lars had a response. I don't know exactly what it was, but... No, but it was probably brilliant knowing Lars. Just knowing Lars, yeah. Um... Um, but that is, you know, the, it's it's worth acknowledging that that is a point of view that yes. some people have. That, like, uh, you know, you and I, because of simply mm-hmm. our background, that we just don't have any authority or, or like, reason um, to right. talk about stories and experiences like this. Well, there's a certain boundary that we can't cross as far as this goes and it has to do with the type of knowledge we have about this um we have um knowledge as far as um understanding some of the history understanding the literature um and and i mean words (laughs) right but experiential knowledge is not there right and so we can't step into it that way we we have Um, some experiential knowledge just in the sense of being human but that's a slim (laughs) step into that well and the way the way that i come at this is is sort of by going through the bad answers sure so pretend racism doesn't exist obviously bad answer right um Pretend I have any authority because I've had black friends, coworkers, and students. Bad Very answer. bad answer. <laughs> um, but I also think that to say that, you know, because I don't have this particular set of experiential knowledge, that I can't talk about any of it, is probably that's, also a bad answer. That's also a bad answer, yeah. Because, the, essentially, if you follow that um, line of logic to its, to its logical conclusion... Um, you know, I can't sit here and talk about anything other than books written by, like, white guys from America or white guys from right. the West. Which is just um, its own sort of segregation. Sure. Like, I mean, not not the same... That's maybe not the best word for it, but, like, ultimately it just creates echo chambers all over the place. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> and it, it also, even on an even deeper level, it sort of denies the very, like mechanism by which stories mm-hmm. um, or narratives whether they're fiction or nonfiction, by which right. they are meaningful it, right like right. If, if i have to be in the place it, it have if i have to have had the um exact set of life experiences of the teller of any story there's no reason to tell stories in the first place right exactly it's it's far more meaningful when you create a story um, and your reader or listener engages with that story having had a different experience, which every hearer and audience is going to have, yeah. to an extent, some different experience. And there's there's a, a spectrum of that. But with that different experience, this is a unifying feature of story in the, the meaningfulness of it. Right. As well, well as just a... It's, it's a... a place for conversation exactly and it it does it does the opposite of ignore racism you know (laughs) it's forcing us to talk about it and not only that but it if especially fiction to like try to slowly glide this plane into any kind of a a smooth landing um especially with fiction like the whole point of fiction to me is to be able to to sort of get outside of my own head and of my own experience and to to basically sort of build empathy by 
um, seeing something through another person's eyes, which is something that I think this hmm. this book in particular uh, did for me extremely well, um, which we'll obviously get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I had another point that I was kind of going for. Um, I guess just like there's there's a to me there's there's listening and there's having an opinion, mm. and um, when I read uh experiences you know from black writers whether of of you know literature academics or just online um when i when i do that the the thing that that white people seem to be really good at is having opinions and the thing that i hear white people not being very good at quite often is sitting and listening to the experiences of other people um so you know i i had kind of a i guess a um an existential debate with myself about this book as to how to approach it and and uh uh what to say about it and what i could say about it um and like the conclusion that i've come to is that i'm with this book in particular i'm on a much more uh analytical level which is Mm. To say analysis in literature to me is just is basically the act of listening. I'm mm. not trying to to talk about whether this whether anything in this book is is right or wrong or um, real or fake in in certain very important ways. I'm just trying to reflect what I've heard out of this book. Um, and this is me saying that that this is an act of listening that I'm going to do by sitting here and talking, talking. <laughs> for two hours. Yes, I mean, well, that's that, that's kind of just showing how we've listened. But yeah, no, I and I I like the way you put that. I, that's more or less how I intended to come at this too. I just hadn't put it in those words. Yeah. Um, because I think that is the most beneficial way to read this book because, um. It's such an interesting book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about the book now? Yes, I mean, yes, have we please. checked our privilege enough for now? <laughs> I, I hope so. For now. I mean, <laughs> either, well, either we have or we'll never be able or to. Or we'll never be able to. And I'm comfortable with the second thing being true, but, yeah. you know, we, we we're, can't just... We're at least trying to be honest about our perspective yeah, on this. Yeah, And that's, I hope, merit enough. For now, um, I mean, if it isn't like you should probably stop listening. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Because you know, to be clear, as as I go back on and start not doing the thing you just requested we do, <laughs> um, like to be clear, the the argument that there's a certain very large chunk of black literature that I simply can't understand that there are many important mm. aspects that I can't understand by virtue of being white, like I'm perfectly okay with that being true. Sure. Um, but I, I don't think that, that then not reading black literature specifically or, or other literatures outside of my own experience is a valid solution to that fact or a valid reaction to mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. fact. Okay. I'm done now. All right. Um, I do want to ask the genre question. Yeah. Uh, what genre is this, Ethan? Um, that is a really good question. Okay. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. No, so that's, keep your answer short. <laughs> I that, that's that's I don't either, um, and I still might. Okay, um, but it's it's a really good question. Um, I think because every time that someone tr- like I don't have an answer for you right now. Maybe I'll get there by the end of the sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
every time that someone that I've been talking to this book uh, uh, talking to this talking book. to this book about someone <laughs> and I'm like book guess what this person said <laughs> your genre was um, mm-hmm. I usually want to say that the person is wrong because mm-hmm. like I've heard people call it alternate history yeah and it's like and, and yes but <laughs> yeah and, but also you know you 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 then are tempted to call it historical fiction yes but exactly <laughs> but the but there is yes but it's alternate like right. yes but it's alternate it's history. alternate historical fiction but but that's just a that's the long just... version of saying alternate history right um and i mean i may i may be particularly suited to be snobby about that phrase or if not snobby, then pedantic, whichever whichever you like better. Um, You're always pedantic. But... Well, but sometimes I'm snobby. Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, to be pedantic, sometimes I'm pedantic and snobby. Yeah, yeah. You can cut that part out. Um, no. I, I didn't think so. Anyway, uh, you know, the, the genre alternate history has a long and storied history. <laughs> I was trying so hard to think of a Please. different word. <laughs> um, but it's... There's a lot of gamesmanship and and uh, sort of frivolity in the alternate history genre. Not not in every work, but but in a lot of works it's like... It's sort of like the, the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court idea. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's drop a 20th century guy into the Middle Ages and have some fun with genocide um, <laughs> oh. which is actually an accurate description of mark twain's actual book connecticut yankee and king arthur's Court. Yeah. um uh twain was problematizing that to be clear but this is not the mark twain podcast um <laughs> not yet <laughs> um no comment anyway <laughs> so like alternate history usually it changes more and it it's usually more la- more similar to like a mm-hmm. fantasy yeah. story in which is not to to deride it in any way but it's to say that um that term as it's come to be defined and practiced mm-hmm. is uh, very um it has a lot of genre baggage that yeah. i don't think this book wants needs or deserves yeah Mm-hmm. um because this book is very much a book like the the uh way that it's criticized or the way that it's using its alternate history is either in service of poetic device or in service of sort of telescoping a set of things that actually happen but but being able to portray them in a much more sort of a circumscribed way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um neither of which again the the like science fiction subgenre of alternate history usually that's not what that's about right um yeah okay so that's my short answer all right which is as you will note not any actual answer right it's not and you went part of the way where i thought you were going to go i was going to add to it um and i i thought even uh when we were uh, checking our privilege earlier that uh, (laughs) that you were going to answer this way that i had thought of it too it does have the same flavor as slave narratives oh sure um, yeah in a lot of ways too so i think it it combines that you know alternate history historical fictions with the slave narrative idea but piles on top of that um which isn't totally foreign to the slave narratives either but it piles on top of that some folk tale sort of yes tall tale um 
characteristics as well. Yeah, which was actually not one of the uh, things I was expecting it to overlap with our next book. No, um, I know. I wasn't expecting that necessarily either, but I am intrigued by it. Yeah. Um, so the, the conceit behind this book, The Underground Railroad, if you haven't read it yet. Oh, you yeah, you read better it. read it. So now that we've told you what genre it isn't, <laughs> go read the book. now you've read it and you're weeping probably yeah probably you are also i should i'm gonna add to our genre discussion extremely briefly Tommy. yes please it's not magic realism oh okay, okay. No. thank you all right yeah uh good 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 you can obviously respond uh no this is I, not an impeachment hearing i but, agree uh, <laughs> okay. oh how timely um <laughs> probably not by the probably time probably not by the time out. yeah it's probably done um so that congratulations whoever won uh, <laughs> Do you understand what you mean? Yeah, never We're going on. Um, so the conceit, as you know by now, because you've read it, is that the Underground Railroad of American history is a literal railroad that is under the ground. And what did you think of just that device? Well, Ethan? it's... That's a difficult... And how it's treated in this novel. Right. Okay. Um, that's a difficult question to answer on its own. Feel free to use my copy. Yes, you don't have yours. Um, I'm just, just going to crib all your notes and talk them. Yeah, that's uh, fine. But it, it is a difficult question to answer on its own, specifically because of how it's used in this narrative. Okay. Um, and also just like the poetic... Uh, and when I say poetic, I guess I just mean something that that sort of um is concretely real in in this book but also is operating on a on a, on a metaphorical level yeah level. both yeah. like both a metaphorical and a symbolic level i would say mm-hmm. explain um, the difference defend yourself no go on I, I was literally about to say if you don't understand the distinction i'm making um take any like freshman level introduction to literary studies course mm-hmm. or just google the two terms right um <laughs> one of those will cost you five thousand dollars um <laughs> and google has enough money in their pockets so <laughs> so support our university what are we doing <laughs> uh, um, because so you know you you obviously have this this uh this idea of an underground railroad mm-hmm. um and uh, I just I just had another thought about the genre thing, but oh, okay. Um, maybe maybe it'll come up right, in right. here, and I don't have to violate your your request yet again. Um, <laughs> what is this podcast? But you're violating my request. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a family podcast where I would have responded to that in several clever ways. Uh, um, would they have been clever? Yes. Oh, okay. And I didn't say them, so I can claim that with absolute authority. And I can doubt you. <laughs> <laughs> uh but this is not the theology podcast anyway yet yeah <laughs> what were we talking about the underground railroad oh yes thank you so <laughs> the way that it is used in this in this novel um is obviously a, a plot device to whatever yes. extent there is plot but uh <laughs> it is also a a the I mean it, like it's in the title for a reason. It's the central metaphor, mm-hmm. and to me, now, so like, 
here's here's the the thought the the logic progression um because this is a strict and logical podcast mm-hmm. um yeah a lot wait <laughs> i a lot of the people when i was you know toting this book around and in, in, in the process of reading it a lot of the the friends who i like showed it to and stuff they they looked at a specific bit of the back um and i can't find it now um but it's somewhere somewhere on the back it like um implies that the idea of the underground railroad as you just as it is described in the book um it implies that that specific idea is like super original oh sure Um, and i had three different friends on three separate occasions basically say like i don't know how original it is that's what i actually thought it was when i was five. <laughs> yep <laughs> uh, you know like a lot of us apparently well, and i i had the same thing a lot of us apparently the first time we heard the phrase the underground railroad mm-hmm. when we were like in grade school and we sort of you, still have some of that childish imagination mm-hmm. you literally you picture literally yeah Which, especially if you know that subways exist right and, right you know, that, that it's possible to have tracks Tra- and moving vehicles underground right i want to interject here yeah. that I'm, I'm i'm guessing that colson whitehead who grew up in america probably had a similar experience yeah uh at least to some extent believing you know it literally and so in that sense too the the title and the conceit of this book being about a literal underground railroad is on the surface of it a a childish sort of device yeah i, I mean it it it, it brings to bear a sort of playfulness almost yes absolutely um, into into the subject matter and that i think but then it does something more well i i, I do want to i do want to sit on that wire for a second okay Ow. um like a like a bird i've tried to be free anyway um <laughs> the uh uh is that a Joni mitchell reference i think it was i don't know is is one of those canadian songwriters it was a song <laughs> reference anyway um I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, okay, I want to sit on sit on this wire for a second to say that I think the childishness of it is part of what is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yes. And by childishness, I don't necessarily mean, like, immaturity or a lack of complexity. No, 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 um, no, no. It's specifically going back to, I think it was a word you mentioned earlier, um... The, the idea of the fairy tale. Yeah, well, I aspect. said folktale, but yeah. Or folktale, yeah. Um, but, like, folktales and fairy tales often do have that quality to them where they mm-hmm. take something that a, an adult would at first assume is a metaphor sure. and sort of bring it back the opposite direction and, and make it concrete and yes. make it literal. Um, and I think that is very much part of what's so like brilliant about mm-hmm. this concept is like you 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 would have a child or you would have a you know any anybody who's been a child and heard the term the underground railroad you'd have them say have that thought of yep. like oh it's a it's a train that runs underground right but it almost takes like a brilliant writer to uh sort of do that recursive movement and like bring that full circle and actually create mm-hmm. um in a meaningful way that as as something that is yes is an inherent part of this this story or this text right and he handles it in an interesting way in this as well making that real yeah um 
you know, for most of the book, it's just, yes, this is here, and they, the, you know, that Im- ambiguous they build it and create branches right. to it and stuff. And so it's not really totally explained how it's done until the end. It's not even explained mark. then. It's kind of implicitly explained the, uh, almost. Yeah. There, there's, there's like an explanation, but it, yeah. it to me leaves as many, as many questions and okay. as many holes as yeah. the thing that it's explaining had in the first place. Um, now that said, uh, the the other thing, the other thing in answer to your original question that we are still answering for what seems like it has been forever now, <laughs> um, the 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 Underground Railroad as it's as it's portrayed in this book, it's it is like the central metaphor slash symbol slash reality of mm-hmm. this you, you of what you could talk about as the world of this book which is sure. really just sort of a our own world in a fractured mirror i guess um mm-hmm. but it's th- this idea that the you know you take um a, a something that would have been sort of very uh heavily in the american mindset or uh zeitgeist during the period that this book takes place in yeah. is the idea of the transcontinental railroad sure 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 um i don't remember exactly when it was completed it may have been after the civil war but certainly the idea of it um was uh sort of conceptualized before the civil war and and work on it was started before the civil war this is the kind of thing that someone who like did any prep for their podcast would have right like thought they researched might that a little bit talk about and 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 done any research on right. it but um but you know, one of the the first conductor that, um, or not even conductor, but station master that uh, uh, Cora encounters is Cora, right? Yep. Um, that she encounters uh, when when she first gets on the railroad, he he tells them uh, her her and the the uh, Caesar, I think the guy that she mm-hmm. that they ran away together. Um, the station master tells them, look out the. Uh, the slats of the train and and see america and going see, by you and you'll see the real the, america. the real america yep yeah um which is just a such a potent phrase that we could we could spend probably an entire episode yeah. an entire episode analyzing if we wanted to um but specific like yeah. in, in, as a sort of like reflection it's very interesting because it's it's another example and there are a bunch that come up throughout this throughout the the text of uh, uh, sort of Whitehead's engagement with the various, what am I trying to say, sets of, I don't know, like various vocabularies, I guess, of the, of the period that he's, that he's writing about. Sure. Um, so in other words, uh, he, um, this, 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 this phrase that the, the the conductor uses the or the station master uses this idea of you'll see the real america that's like something that would have been said in a real life um you know above ground oh yeah mm-hmm. that you know as uh, they're traveling cross transcontinentally yes <laughs> exactly um it's it's the kind of thing that that would have been said um there so the, it's this idea that comes up in in a lot of different ways throughout the course of this text that um, there's sort of a secret underground America uh-huh. 
um, that may be secret even to the people who created America um, or created the United States, to the people who think that they run it, um, to the people who benefit from it the most, and to the to the others, um, the underground side, the, the, the runaway slaves and whatnot, even to them, this underground America is sort of a secret. Yeah. Um, it's, it's this idea, you know, you look, she looks out of the, of the window and sees blackness and, um, mm-hmm. and of course the, the fact that it's darkness and blackness and, yep. you know, we're, we're talking about that has the some black experience. That's certainly weight not, to it as well. yeah, it has, it has a lot of weight to it, but it's also this idea that, um, th- th- it comes up and the only thing I wish I'd, I'd remembered to bring my copy for is, is I'm carefully marked a, f- a few different points where the idea comes up that when, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the idea that when the founding fathers wrote the Constitution, they wrote a more powerful and pervasive document even than they knew. Oh, yes, I remember that line. Yep. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, and that idea repeats a few different It does, it think. does, yeah. That uh, that that idea and that, that statement uh, comes back. But... Um, yeah, and, and it occurs to me too as you're talking about the, the the idea of you know when you know you'll see the real America as you travel through the Underground Railroad uh, and you see blackness. Um, yes. That you know that that also reminded me of of uh, another thing that's that's not actually in any of the genres we've discussed so far. Um, which but um, uh, in African American literature more broadly, uh, uh, Ralph Ellison's The Invisible Man. Oh, sure. Or not The Invisible Man, just Invisible Man. Yeah. Um, in his case. Uh, but yeah, where um, he's got some metaphors like that, where he's mixing paint, um, and it's white paint, and when you add more black to it, it gets whiter. Oh. Uh, which is uh, just an interesting thing that happens in, in that aspect. And, and there are similar things happening here, too. So what Colson Whitehead is doing is drawing on a broad tradition of that African-American literature, um, but even more broadly than that, I think on the back too it says you know something about the history we all share, or, right. or something like that. Where it's 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 American as well because it is just an American story of, um, well, Cora is is Huck Finn ish, in oh yeah in her travels, um, and though she's also but, and you you almost just sort of echoed this. She's also Gulliver ish. Yes, um, yes. Which I, I also do remember writing a note at one whatever point when Gulliver's Travels is most explicitly mentioned. I just mm-hmm. wrote a note to myself that was something like, Cora as Gulliver, like this this novel as mapped onto Gulliver's Travels. And then I think right. the, the follow-up note I wrote was, gee, it would be helpful if I'd read Gulliver's Travels. <laughs> uh, I, can't, I can't claim to have read the whole thing myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's sitting on my shelf. I can picture my copy. Oh, anyway. yeah, same. Um, my copy, not yours. Oh, I can oh, also picture good. yours though. Yikes! I spent a lot of time staring at everything you own. We'll come back to that later. Um, <laughs> yes, the, the 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 traditions that he's drawing on and and um, bringing together here are uh, culminating in something he does he does more powerful. You know, we talk about the childishness of it being somewhat of the point of it, but he does something really powerful with that. Um, I think he points out how America is childish. Mm-hmm. Um, that that uh, the, the the struggles of of the the slaves in in the narrative and the and the free black people in in the in the book as well. Um, the struggles they face seem so mature, but something that a child is undergoing 
it, it really speaks to like childhood trauma that America is a traumatized child uh, <laughs> is, yeah. is kind of what I'm getting out of this, uh, which is only going to um, looking at the future, which it, it does a little bit. And it's not necessarily the point. It's some of the point. But looking at the future, uh, the future of America is going to be dealing with its own childhood trauma. Sure. Um, yeah. And which is, is in a very real sense is is true no matter what. Uh-huh. Um just the the way that all of these things are are going now we've we've reached this point where um we're at least willing to acknowledge uh some of the 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 uh treatment of you know black people throughout our history yes. the treatment of um american indians uh mm-hmm. throughout our history which we'll we'll cover in a we'll few get weeks to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh as if we weren't treading on on a slippery enough yeah. soil um because sometimes soil is slippery, just go with it. Um, sure. Anyway, uh, you know, it's it's we're only reaching a moment, and we're maybe not even fully there, where it's not controversial to say, you know, to essentially acknowledge the reality of um, the horrors that that slavery inflicted on an oh, entire, sure. you know, large population of people. Um, and who the are fact, citizens of this country yeah um and in fact that that you know the even when we claimed we were we were changing we weren't always changing or yeah you know, sometimes these these things would just come back up in in sort of disguised form sure um, sometimes literally a disguised form mm-hmm. in you know the kkk and oh other, yeah other matters um you know and, and you know similar thing with with american indians it's it's we're only just reaching a place where it's not controversial to just acknowledge that there is a history of, uh, you know, genocide essentially yeah. in, in in our uh, our own backyards, um, and that's that's very much a a struggle, and it's it's an ongoing struggle towards maturity. Yeah, you know, the step one of maturity is acknowledging. Um, your problems your faults and your your issues and um facing them and dealing with them rather than retreating from them or denying that they that they exist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah go ahead um well there, there there are some interesting things in here with the way um inheritance is is discussed that um, yes. the, the continuity of uh, a bloodline um or you know, even just a cultural inheritance um, yes. That um, Cora herself, the main character, when she's first approached in the novel by Caesar asking her to run away, first line says she said no. Right. Uh, which, and it's it's described it, uh, the the very next line. This was her grandmother talking. Right. It's it's an inheritance that 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 and when it, when it begins that way, where she begins with that inheritance right. of the fear um, uh, of that, that, that she has inherited that fear that's going to be passed along in yes. some sense. Um, it might be diluted, but it's still there. Um, right. which jumping to the end of the book. And I, I do want to talk about this more. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, echoes of John Henry, um, <laughs> come, come out in here. Uh, and it, you know, my experience with the John Henry story. Okay. But you know, burrowing that tunnel and fighting against the machine and, and all that stuff. Right. You know, he dies at the end. Right. Spoilers for John Henry. Um, <laughs> uh, which there, that's some of where the, the folktale aspect of things come, come out here. Um, 
I was really disappointed in that as a kid when I when I learned it in sure. like second grade. Yeah. Um, super disappointed. Like, why? You know, he should win. He 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 won, so he should live. Right. Uh, so we're looking for that hopeful aspect here. Cora does essentially what John Henry did. You know, burrowing this tunnel, um, right. getting through to the end. I mean, it's 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 put in very um, surreal terms as she does it here, but. Um, the, the interesting aspect to this is that occurs just after she becomes pregnant, I think. Um, sounds right. Yeah. I mean, it at least implied that she becomes pregnant. So the inheritance is, is very much pointed to at the end here as well, that as she comes through that, if you're thinking of the John Henry story, as she reaches the end of this tunnel that she has burrowed to, to continue the underground railroad, um, um, or to bring herself to, to freedom, there's another child who is going to inherit everything that she has brought along. Yeah. And yeah. that's, I, I don't know, there's there's more there. <laughs> well, there is, and part of it is that the idea of inheritance is inherently sort of problematized throughout. Oh, yes, this, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Because, you know, and, and, it, and it takes place right from that, right from that opening. Yes. Um, her, her mother gives an, an alternate inheritance that, like, conflicts with her grandmother's inheritance given to her and there's the garden plot that's brought out in there that's an inheritance um but but also um at this at the same time that that all of that is going on um and i'm trading on very dangerous ground here but uh, yeah right right at the at the beginning (laughs) um we have uh a description of um of cora's grandmother's um uh, experience being kidnapped into slavery brought into, mm-hmm. into slavery um and this this is if if anything in this book does get towards magic realism um which is an extremely loaded term and it is a genre discussion that i i and it's me talking i super don't want to get into um <laughs> but the closest thing in this book to magic realism is not what a, a you know lazy uh, sophomore English major would say, which is the the Underground Railroad itself. But it is in this sure. opening um, where we have you know uh, Caesar approaches Cora. Cora says no, mm-hmm. um, and then we go straight into Cora's grandmother had never seen the ocean before that bright afternoon in the port of Huida, um, and the water dazzled after her time in the fort's dungeon dungeons stored them until the ships arrived and then we have you know uh de, de homian and i'm butchering these names and i apologize to anyone <laughs> who might be listening who has any idea how they're actually said but the dahomeyan raiders kidnapped the men first and returned to her village the next moon for the women and children marching them in chains to the sea two by two um two things first of all as an aside and something i would still like to take up later uh once again whitehead's almost like chameleon like prose manner where he he slips in and out of different vocabularies depending on sure. um i think what point he's wants to drive home with a given sentence scene or yeah even a given <laughs> sentence um but secondly um there's no way that cora knows this right yeah mm-hmm. like cora's yep. cora's this, mother this is ran, an omniscient narrator yeah talking. Cora, cora's mother ran away when she was 10 um so even if the grandmother had told cora's mother 
this information. There's no way Cora would retain it, especially in this mm-hmm. in this manner. And you know, Cora's grandmother was sold a few times on the trek to the fort, passed between slavers for cowrie shells and glass beads. Um, like, there's almost certainly no way that that a ten year old or younger Cora um, is understood that would understand any of this. Yeah. Um, even assuming that information got as far as her mother. Um, and then again, even if you doubt that, uh, one, two, three, fourth paragraph, the nanny was out of Liverpool and had made two previous stops along the Gold Coast. <laughs> like, you know, a 10-year-old a uh, third-generation, you know, slave girl in whatever, not South Carolina, Mississippi. No, they're... Vote. In, the, in the American South, like, is not going to understand right. what most of those words mean. And yet again, it, like there's no way in the narrative that it never georgia. comes up thank you that that like she learned this information no not georgia doesn't actually it might be tennessee matter super deeply doesn't this matter. time no nope, um, it's gonna bother it, me but yep go but, the, but the point is like in order to even get as much ancestral information as we do get about cora's you know matrilineal line and cora's grandmother like the narrator has to become omniscient yeah um and this is driven home in a lot of really like like uh subtle and um uh, contingent ways throughout especially the early chapters of this book um the opening of they're not numbered but but i think it's the second section that's just called georgia um Jockey's birthday only came once or twice a year. <laughs> Which is just... Oh, it's a beautiful sentence. It is. And and the import of it might slip right past you, especially, again, if you never had to, had to think about when your birthday was with any less than a certainty. But it's like... Um, you know the the first chapter begins with ancestry being stripped stripped away from them second chapter begins with even their birthdays being stripped away from them yeah like like growing up as like a white kid in the suburbs like your whole year revolves around your birthday mm-hmm. right like you know yep. the, the one time i mean christmas is great and all but like your birthday your the, birthday yeah that's the one time of year you get to call all the shots you get to have the party that you want and the only people who get presents are you exactly. you know waiting for you know your stupid brother zeke to take 10 minutes to open his his uh tonka truck or whatever like you got all the presents and like <laughs> you know and and of course when you get to be an adult um you're supposed to have gotten less that way about it right um i did phrase that sentence very carefully yep um i think we all caught the specific words you used there um but you know to even even as an adult though like what your birthday goes on on forms on driver's licenses oh yeah it's it's central to your identity like it's if if someone steals your identity your birthday is part of that (laughs) <laughs> yeah like, exactly in in a very real sense so yeah okay um we we're, we're we're jutting right up to the end of this hour right now sure um, oh but just so i want you to finish your thought yes. and that might be a, a good finishing thought for the episode well the the thought that thank you i remembered i was i was doing is um <laughs> that the the idea of ancestry is insisted upon in this book but it's mm. also 
deeply problematic. And um, I mean, one of the disturbing things uh, just that I had really never thought about before this book brought it quite jarringly to my attention is how quickly ancestry could slip away from someone. Mm. Um, you know, you have Korra, like, three generations in, um, having essentially marooned as far as having a culture or heritage. Oh, sure. Um, or, and, you know, theoretically, mm-hmm. if if circumstances completely went in her favor from, say, age 20 forward, she could reconstruct some of that. Sure, um, but it's it's been marred it's been changed it's, it's been... it will it's inherently changed yeah yep. um and uh you know this is like it, the, the reason this is so mind-boggling to me is just like um i i was you know fairly close to um my grandfather on my mom's side for example you know he he died a few years ago but i was 25 years old and i got you know i got 25 good years with him um and he's you know he's been deeply influential to me uh and because of that connection with him and of course with with my mother um or through her like i have a extremely good idea of um where most of my ancestors or a lot of my ancestors come from that due to due to work done by by other relatives of mine i can trace back to um at least as far as the uh, Norman conquest of England <laughs> nearly a thousand years ago. Um, you know, I have, I, and, and it's, you know, being American myself, and this is where as a white guy, I could make a lot of false equivalencies that I hope to avoid here. You know, it's, it's twisting and it's turning and there's Irish and there's Germans and there's, um, you know, at least one Cherokee woman in that, in that ancestry. Um, but like, I have a whole sort of host of ancestors that I have at least a, a minimal amount of specific knowledge and information about and a sense sure. of. Um, and what this is describing is so alien to me because yeah. it's as if my grandfather, it, like essentially if he had died without me ever knowing him um, and the stuff my mother could have told me, you know, was, was, a uh, uh, vague at best. I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> I'm extrapolating. Um, and, and if that's where, where I was, I would be completely marooned as far as, you know, you've got the, this whole ancestry.com thing that is yeah. going on too. And like, I think of that every time I see one of their commercials that like, you know, there there is a sizable portion of the United States that would get almost no benefit from your services. I mean, <laughs> with genetic testing, there, there's that. It's yeah, it's a little bit different. There's oh, is but, ancestry but, genetic testing. They do some, yeah. Okay, but like yeah, they, their their primary website goes through documentation. Oh, okay, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it, and it's it's just part of it. What's mind boggling about it is that this is like within a couple lifetimes. This mm-hmm. isn't like. You know the the fall of of Numenor to the the reduced <laughs> line of Gondor, where this took place over a hundred generations. Right, this is like literally within a single lifetime. You yeah. can cut people off and maroon them. Right, and it's like done that. intentionally. Yes, it's done intentionally. Yeah, and there's so... there's multiple lines in this book, I believe, about how they would take they would make sure to sort of mix different tribes so that yep. no one could sort of reconstitute a, a well, tribe on on. 
the opposite shore. And there's even an interruption of this birthday party. And yes. It's like very pointedly stopped. Yes. So I mean it's it's explicitly done that it's it's deliberately interfered with. Yes. Uh, that uh, this this continuity, this sense of identity is completely removed. And the the birthday party you could argue is even a way of trying to sort of reconstruct or start from scratch and yeah. create a sense of continuity and even that is interrupted yes exactly exactly it's not allowed to to go it, there there's illusions allowed but then the illusion itself is proven to be an illusion well and it's it's in in that specific scene um also a large part of the point is who is allowing the illusion yes who, yes who has the actual power right right and that's that's a key feature here that we're probably going to have to talk a little bit more about in the next episode um yeah we are right at the end here well i do i but... i think this actually i want to just slip one thing in here yes. under the gun um because slip i've talked a gun. couple three times about Bang, dang i missed aha um about uh whitehead's use of prose um, <laughs> okay and the uh the one oh i thought i i thought i actually remembered the uh the line where it was almost but um the one like thing that just uh uh blah. this is this is excellent radio right here um, <laughs> don't worry i'll cut it out really I won't. yeah that's what i thought um there's a description of the uh two slave masters during or the 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 owners of the of the plantation oh the the terrences yes during when they or terrence is one of them terrence, terrence is the and, first name of someone terrence and james that's what it is um so okay i found it um so when they when they crash this birthday party again mm-hmm. as we said to interrupt to even the the thought of a reconstructed um, ancestry or, or identity or culture um, to assert their their power in the situation um, right at the end of the description of that uh, it's on page 33 over to 34 um, the the these two these two slave owners have essentially like demanded that the slaves resume their dance and dance for them right mm-hmm. um, and I, I want to quote some lines Oh, how they capered and hollered, shouted and clapped. Certainly this was the most lively song they had ever heard. The musicians, the most accomplished players, the colored race had to offer. Um, and just, and that's right in the middle of a paragraph. Uh, but those mm-hmm. two sentences are completely out of character with most of the rest of yeah. Whitehead's prose. And I, I, I stumbled over them because of that. And I had to. And that's the point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're right. It very much on a on a melodic prose level, that's very much the point. But also, I realized what specifically I snagged on there is the fact that these are not sentences from, um, you know, an extremely polished novel, uh, written in 2016, 2015, uh, whenever mm-hmm. this was published. These are lines from a travelogue by a white person. Uh, sort of going as an anthropologist into black culture um, written in the 19th century. Now, I'm not saying I actually have, like, 
done the legwork to to chase down any specific no but that's definitely the character of those lines yes that's exactly what it is it's um and the the so our omniscient narrator is in the perspective of terrence and james here now right yeah essentially exactly and the 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 syntax is um very 19th century there's there's a lot of dependent clauses in a way that most of whitehead's prose tends to avoid um it, there's you know it's just it oh how they capered and hollered shouted and hopped like those are the rhythms and the uh uh punctuation of a 19th century narrative yep um and it's it's just just again this this uh this narrator sliding into the skin as it were of um james and terrence or someone who you know had had, had been the one white person in at a, a party uh you know a black a black party black birthday party yeah and you know was was trying to brag and and describe this this event to his fellow white people that's exactly the, yeah. the sort of language that um you know would be done and quite often people who talk like that are hailed as pioneering anthropologists and even some of them you know might have been abolitionists like yeah uh this is this is not a descriptor of um conscious racism this is a descriptor of white benevolence from the time sure yeah definitely yeah it's it's really interesting so we'll we'll talk more about that next in the next episode um so nobody broke any rules this time around so we're gonna end here i'm cutting you off ethan that's well oh i almost broke a rule to make a joke (laughs) (laughs) and i think you know it yeah that's okay uh so, we're going to continue talking about the Underground Railroad in the next episode. So, uh, please give us your feedback if you have thoughts about this book. Uh, we're probably not going to get it before we talk about it again. But, uh, if you give us that feedback, we will address it in a future episode. Uh, go to the contact section of tapestryradio.org, put Scotch Talk in the subject line, uh, or find us on Twitter, at Room with Scotch, and talk to us there and give us your feedback there about this book or any other book we discuss. Uh, on Facebook, you can find us in the Tapster Radio Tap House. If you request to join, we will let you in, unless you're a white supremacist. Yeah, sure, that's probably true. That we I mean, that we we it, won't let you in if you are one. Right. I mean, if if we know you are one, we won't. Yeah. There you go. And in my experience, if we don't know right away, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. It'll it'll be it'll become plain. Um. Anyway, leaving you beside, you know who you are. We'll also do your homework. Uh, no, we won't do it well, but we're going to do it in a funny way. Uh, and we condone plagiarism. That's our official position as a podcast. This podcast condones plagiarism. So Because we think it's funny and it's we want to get you in trouble. hilarious and we want to laugh at you. So, yes, plagiarize this podcast. We will do your homework. Turn in that homework to your teacher and let us laugh along the sidelines. Um if you like this podcast, check out our other shows on the Tapster Radio Network, like Intermission and Pokemon Rollout. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, and tell other people about this podcast. Start a book club. That'd be fun, uh, based on our podcast and the books that we read. Um, yeah. Ethan, yeah. where can they find you? I am on Twitter at Bjartlet, B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. I don't tweet a lot, but I check it frequently because sort of like checking the refrigerator 
repeatedly after not having bought groceries, I think that some tweets will show up, even <laughs> though I did nothing to make them happen. Uh, I also have a webcomic, Pinporter Girl Detective. It is a film noir fairy tale uh, detective story set in a small town in the Midwest starring a 12-year-old girl detective. Uh, my partner, Robin G., does some brilliant artwork in it and also i write words for it um, <laughs> that is online at pinporterdetective.com mm-hmm. and that's what i have all right uh i'm on twitter at m-g-l-i-l-i-e-n-t-h-a-l i tweet uh, sometimes um the, mostly ties mostly ties yeah you can find the same on my instagram uh m-g-l-i-l-i-e-n-t-h-a-l uh i tweet or i uh, i I Instagram tie pictures because I tie my ties in funny ways. So follow that if you're interested in that, I guess. Some people think they're funny. Some people think they're funny. Like Ethan. Ha! I didn't say that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's where you can find us. And until next time when we continue talking about the Underground Railroad, just remember, it's our party. And we'll cry if we want to.
obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours.